Booker turns, shoots, fires, shot won't go, chuck of the rebound, and that'll do it. It's over. The Bucks have done it. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. The emotions come pouring out. One of the greatest nights in Milwaukee sports history ends in a coronation. And the brilliance of the young man from Athens. Like it's easy to go somewhere and go and win a championship with somebody else. It's easy. I could go, I don't put anybody in this spot, but I could go to a super team and, you know, just do my part and win a championship, still one. But this is the hard way to do it and this is the way. And we did it. Fucking did it. And that they did. Welcome to week 38, count of week 38 of Shark Sports Radio. Alongside of me is nobody. And it's yours truly, Mark Loisel Jr., a.k.a. Shark, right here in the Ocean State. Appreciate all of you for taking a dive into the tank tonight. As always, you can tune in using your Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and or Spotify app. And as a reminder, you can also check us out on Twitter at SSR2019 underscore. And as always, on Facebook at the Shark Sports Radio page. Well, the Bucks came and they went. Giannis Antetokounmpo played amazing as usual. Extraordinary performance, hands down. The Bucks secured their second championship in 50 years. Yes, only their second championship. But Giannis Antetokounmpo was the Bill Russell Finals MVP recipient with 50 points, 14 boards, and what a performance for the years. He goes down as one of the just three players in all-time NBA to ever win Finals MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and MVP of the season. So he has had an extreme amount of great uh, presence on his resume in the NBA atmosphere, and he has definitely joined into the mix as being one of the best all-around players to ever play the game both ways he's definitely a two-way player no no doubt about it offensively you sort his dominance performance you can make the case of him you know missing free throws here and there throughout the series but when it was called for in game six he made the most of it what a stat line I don't think it's been ever done uh in in the finals having you know um that type of performance and Give credit where credit's due. I, I've always hated Coach Bud, but Coach Bud really was the, the the key point in some of these games. You know, the adjustments of double-teaming Chris Ball on the pick-and-roll and even him passing half-court. You know, putting Holiday on Devin Booker. Devin Booker didn't have his way against Holiday. Holiday made it tough. And, and Giannis, he was freelancing on the defensive side of the ball. You saw him grabbing rebounds left and right on the offensive side and defensive side. You saw him playing in the post. Great defensive presence in the post. Being able to handle the bigs. Um, even DeAndre Ayton. Even Mikael Bridges trying to get into the paint. He says no. You know, Brooke Lopez, this, this supporting cast was, was hands down terrific. If you look across the board, the Bucks put together a complete team. 
Um, and they did one hell of a job in the offseason. You know, they got Tucker to be a ball stopper on switches, you know, and to make key threes, a three and D type of player. Lopez, you know, controlled the paint and played impactful defensive help. You know, Chris Middleton does what he does, you know, 50, 40, 90 type of guy, you know, who can stretch the floor with ease. You know, he averaged a, a tremendous amount of points throughout the series. I think it was around the 25, 26 point mark. Um, but he had a 40-plus performance in the, in the series as well. You know, and, and Bobby Porras, talk about a spirit animal. You know, did he give, give him, did he give the team the wrong energy at points? Yes, of course he did. But he did it when it, it was called for. You know, they needed some kind of spark. And, you know, Bobby Porras was, a, you know, a guy that's not going to back down from a challenge. And you need those type of players on it. P.J. Tucker and Bobby Porras were exactly what the Milwaukee Bucks needed um, in this season. And to get over the top of the Brooklyn Nets, you know, you could put L.A. Lakers, um, Los Angeles Clippers in the mix as well. And they really made their name known throughout the course of the season. We saw it, the depth of this team. You know, hands down was the better team, the better team in the NBA. You know, Phoenix Suns definitely had the better record. But that's not to say who was the better team. The better team always finishes strong, and Milwaukee definitely did. And Giannis getting his first championship at you know under the age of 27 is just—it's an imaginable. It's something that doesn't really—it rarely happens. It's unprecedented. So I think the way that Giannis and that team was constructed. You know, right from the get-go, they played amazing, terrific team basketball, just like the Phoenix Suns, tip of the cap to them. But, you know, when you look at the Phoenix Suns side of the ball, Chris Paul and Devin Booker really didn't show in Game 5 and Game 6. You can look at the stats, you can say, oh, well, Chris Paul had, you know, 21 uh, points and 11 assists. And the game before that, he had, like, 26 points and, you know, uh, I think it was 7 or 8 assists. Great. That's that's, that's great and dandy, but when, when you don't show – and you have turnovers and, you know, you're not taking control of the game, you're not worthy of a championship team. You're just not. That shows bad preparation. That shows composure. That shows things got to you uh, throughout the course of the game. And the Milwaukee Bucks are just a stronger mentally and physical team. And, again, tip of the cap for Coach Bud because everybody was hating on Coach Bud and saying, get the heck out of Milwaukee. You don't belong there. But as Giannis said, you know, they wanted to win. They won. They had a goal in mind. The reason why he wanted to stay was to be loyal and make an empire out of it. And he sure got his title. Now, will he do it again? I think this year was definitely a flash in the pan. If, if you look at the bigger picture for Milwaukee Bucks, this year they've, they have had that complete team that just will not say no to any team. They, they will not back down from a challenge. And you need that. You know, Brent Forbes, you know, came off as uh, Dante DiVincenzo couldn't play. And, you know, Pat Connington played some some key minutes here and there. You know, was he inconsistent throughout the series? Yes, but they didn't need him to play like an elite type. It was Drew Holiday. It was Chris Middleton. It was Brooke Lopez, you know, around Giannis. And kudos to Milwaukee for getting these players involved. And I'll tell you what, Phoenix had the wrong game plan. You should let you should let Giannis go off. You should, but you shouldn't let everybody else go off. And, and that was the key point, you know, throughout the course of the series. 
you know, the, the entire supporting cast really came to play. They, they shot close to 40% for the, the series. You know, Brooke Lopez grabbed a lot of defensive rebounds and offensive rebounds. And a, a key point in, into this playoffs, you know, if, if you look at previous series, an important part was, you know, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Porras, and Drew Holiday. They stepped up when it was needed against the Atlanta Hawks. And Giannis, as good as he is, you know, he was injured. He was injured late into that, that series. So, again, kudos to the supporting cast for stepping into a different role, a different makeup, going up against Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks team with Nate McMillan on the show. And I think if you, like I said, in years past, you look at San Antonio Spurs, you can look at the Dallas Mavericks when they beat, you know, the Miami Heat the first year when they were the big three were together. This is the type of makeup, the same kind of makeup of those teams. You know, you have a superstar, but then you have guys that know exactly what they do perfect. And they did it throughout this series. And of course, you know, I'm sorry, karma comes back and bites, you know, the sun's in the ass, you know. They can chant all they want, you know, Suns in four and Suns in six and all that stuff. But when it's all said and done, you got to speak, you know, louder with your actions than your words. And I feel like Milwaukee did just that. Giannis came to play. Like I said, Giannis had a terrific series, man. If you look, look at his numbers, it's just crazy good. You know, he just came to play. He got his uh, teammates involved. He looked out for one another from a leadership standpoint. Giannis is a guy that you want to root for moving forward, and he is worthy of that. You know, he came from Greece. He came. He said he came from nothing, and his mother was selling, you know, jewelry, I think, on the streets, and they had to make a living. And, you know, for in order for Giannis to, you know, come over to the States, they at least had to have some kind of financial flexibility and support. So, if you look at the family of Giannis, they made his dream happen for sure. But when it, again, the makeup of Giannis, you know, if you look at the evolution of Giannis, it has been always about he can't shoot. You know, um, he's like suspect a little bit on defense. Can he guard the bigs? Well, he got stronger. He worked on his offensive game. He worked on his jump shot. Is his jump shot still ugly? Yes, it definitely is. But he has the way, the knack of, you saw it. And it, again, if I'm Phoenix, I'm putting a wall right in front of Giannis. I'm not letting him get to the hoop. I am allowing, you know, Pat Connington and Brent Forbes and Drew Holiday to shoot threes. That's how they're beating me. I am not letting Giannis get into the paint. And I know that they tried really, really hard to put DeAndre Ayton on him. And they put Mikael Bridges on him. But again... Milwaukee just had a better game plan from start to finish. So the series was won at the start when the adjustments were made by Coach Budenholzer, and he came out with the force with Giannis and company. So great job to the Milwaukee Bucks. They deserved it. They were the better team, complete team. And honestly, it was good to see in this finals, you know, to see uh, a lot of balance and dynamic in these teams that, you haven't seen in the past. It's always been about, like like Giannis said in the beginning of the podcast here, you know, super teams. He didn't want to go to a super team. He felt like he could do it on his own. And again, if you do put in the hard work, if you do take dedication into your craft, it just shows 
that it comes to fruition. It comes full circle. So bravo to Giannis Antetokounmpo for bringing it this uh, finals and winning Milwaukee their second championship of their franchise. I, I do want to talk about the Olympics just because it's coming out. Tomorrow is opening ceremony from Tokyo. And a lot of, um, you know, chatter going around whether, you know, there's going to be, you know, Olympians that will be able to participate or not. And um, the Olympians that are going to be partaking, I mean, you could talk about Simone Biles, right? You know, from a gymnast standpoint, you could talk about Trayvon Bramell, um, you know, in the tracking category. You know, you can talk about. Um, you know, Caleb Dressel for the swimming, um, you know, competition, you know, Adel- Adeline uh, Gray for, you know, wrestling, you know, she's age 30. So she's, you know, hitting that point in time where, you know, she might not have another chance at that. You know, Katie Ledecky, 24 years old. We saw her. It was a tremendous performance out of her, you know, in Rio. So, if you look at, you know, Sydney McLaughlin, even 21 years old, you know, running, uh, you know, track in the 400 meter hurdles, she put up a tremendous performance in Rio. And I, I just feel like this year over all years, obviously with COVID going on, it's really, really nice to see, you know, it kind of get back to normal. We won't see like, you know, fans in the stands at all in Tokyo because they're still under you know, certain protocols, but it will be nice to see at least these, you know, Olympians competing. And I do want to talk about the U.S. Olympic team because they are part of the Olympics. Uh, The games are going to be on late, so if you don't have an opportunity to watch them, uh, it's most certainly understandable. Um, I might sneak in here and there a couple of games just to check it out. But, you know, if you're looking at the potential and what they did in Las Vegas, it was gross. It wasn't nice to see. It was kind of, you know, me, me, me kind of basketball. And I hate to say that because, you know, Jason Tatum was playing. But, you know, you had Dame Lillard. You had Bradley Beal. You know, Jason Tatum. You, you know, you have um, you know, a lot of different, you know, talents across the board on that team. And if you look at truly the defining factor, you know, for the U.S. national team going into the Olympics... It's going to make this try to work in every single way in shape and form. Now, you know, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Deborah Booker, they're joining Team USA for their run. But I think what we saw in Vegas was not good. Them losing to Nigeria and them losing to Australia and them, you know, uh, almost losing to Spain. It's a headache. Why this kind of basketball is happening? And if you look at European basketball you know, if you look overseas, anywhere overseas, you look at the, the strength in their game, it's team basketball. It's it's passing the ball. It's playing good defense. It's rebounding. It's knowing the FIBA, you know, rules and regulations. I always look at what teams can make the most adjustments. And Team USA, they have great talent. Don't get me wrong. They have all the talent in the world. Greg Popovich running the show and Ime Udoka, you know, being assistant coach and Steve Kerr and Jay Wright, they got good coaches and, and a good set of players. But when it comes down to the real life moment, when you're in the Olympics, you got to play for your country. You got to play for you know, your true soul. And you just didn't see it in the exhibition matches. You saw a lot more team play. 
you know, from the Spains and from the Argentinas and from the Australias. So I hope that was a wake up call for Team USA. You know, to most certainly get their act together. You know, maybe not so much isolation ball and you know try to play you know physical defense and you know play out in the in the open. You know, you got Kevin Durant, you got Zach Levine, you got Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, and Bam Adebayo, guys that have playoff experience. And throughout this two weeks or so. There's going to be a certain amount of time for Team USA to get acclimated before it becomes, you know, too late. So I would like to see Team USA be better than what they did in Las Vegas. That is bonafide true. Uh, they need to. Otherwise, they can get lost and, you know, get lost in the mix of uh, other teams. So, you know, if I'm Team USA, just a quick wake-up call from Vegas. Going to, you know, Tokyo. I hope they slept well. I hope they have good practices because they're going to need it. They're going to go up against some veteran teams, teams that have been together for a long time, a lot of different chemistries involved. And I'm telling you right now, if they don't play, if they're not ready to show up, they're going to be almost dead last when it comes to the Olympics. And you might see them play second or third. I hope they place gold. But what I saw in Vegas was scary. And I hope they play better. That is my Olympic talk and NBA talk and NBA Finals talk. I do want to break down the Red Sox and then the Bruins. Um, Red Sox are coming in tonight's game, uh, 58 and 30, 38. Uh, one game above Tampa Bay. And I think Tampa Bay just traded for Nelson Cruz recently. So Tampa Bay is definitely loading up. Uh, let's see if Chom Bloom can you know, definitely have um, you know, some type of you know, reaction to that and go out and find, you know, either a starting pitcher or a lead pitcher or a first baseman, you know, some kind of, you know, bench step relief. They're facing a three-game stint, a huge three-game stint against the Yankees, you know, starting tonight. And Montgomery's pitching lights out right now. Um, and, and he's been pretty troubling with the Red Sox, even in New York. He had a fairly decent outing. I think he gave up three or four runs in that outing. So, you know, not in the realm of possibility of being bad, but, you know, the New York Yankees, if you're the Red Sox, you got to put them away. That's number one. You cannot have the New York Yankees just, you know, hanging around. And then, you know, as you get into August and September, that's when teams start making that strong push for playoff contention. And if you allow the Yankees to breathe, that's when they can step on your throat as well. So if I'm the Red Sox this weekend, I am pushing, pushing a Yankees sweep or, you know, get two games out of this, um, this series. So, um, Kike Fernandez has lit it up since the all-star break. I think he's had three home runs. He's batting, you know, well over, I think two forty, two fifty for the year. So, you know, he had a kind of a soft start when it came to batting average, but he's picking it up now. But Devers, Martinez, Bogarts, my goodness, so they continue to be red hot. You know, 50 home runs combined. I think they're right around the 300 mark for batting average, and the OBP is 366. Now, one thing that was talked about throughout the rest of the week, and I do want to mention it, it's not a good stat. The Red Sox, I think, are 29th in the MLB. 29th as far as fielding percentage. So defensive fielding percentage is key. Obviously, you want to play good defense. The Red Sox have had a great outfield, but you're seeing a ton of errors in the infield. And a lot of it go definitely goes down to Bobby Delbeck. You know, Bobby Delbeck, I think, is potentially the worst first baseman uh, defensively in the AL. 
and maybe even in baseball. So if I'm the Red Sox, I'm looking for a good bat, not not a tremendous bat at first. You don't really need it, but you need a you need a first baseman that can most certainly play that position, hold strong to it in order to make that strong push into the playoffs. Now, Chris Sale is coming back into the fold. Thank goodness, because you know, out with Richards, in with Sale. You know, a rotation of Eddie Rodriguez and Nathan Navaldi and Chris Sale and Nick Pavetta, that can get you, you know, a lot of decent help, um, you know, for, from a bullpen standpoint. And, you know, if I'm Bloom and I'm looking at, you know, what's potentially out there, obviously Craig Kimbrell's a name, you know, that play, uh, teams are looking at. I guess Max Scherzer's in the mix too, you know, but truly Bloom has made some extraordinary moves prior to the season. If you look at his off-season acquisitions, they, they've been pretty damn good. You know, I think Whitlock has helped out tremendously in the Rule 5 draft. Um, they got Adovino as a throw-in. Um, you know, Martin Perez has come along nicely. I know he was on the staff last year, but, you know, and, and then putting Matt Barnes into a closing role, which a lot of I guess scouts didn't really see that happening. It was more him being long reliever at points and maybe some substarts. If you look at that rotation, you can confidently say that the Red Sox, with their hitting, if they're averaging four or five runs a game, which they're right at that mark, they've been tremendous offensively, you can really make a case for the Red Sox making a strong push to the World Series. You can. They're going to have to definitely do some moves because they need depth. They need great pitching in order to stay in games. Really good starts from Ivaldi and Pavetta and Eddie Rodriguez. But who knows what sales going to look like. You know, Richards has been, you know, crazy bad. Here and there, you know, ever since that, you know, spider tax stuff has come out, you know, he's not been happy with his role and he's not been happy with the way he's been pitching. So how can you have a confidence in the guy that's not confident? Which every game, you're supposed to be that leader. You're supposed to be that horse that you can drive, you know, the ability to get into sixth, the seventh inning. So if you're looking at the Red Sox, you know, going into the, the postseason, I do like their chances to win the AL pennant. I do. Um, but they, they definitely have to get the right pieces at the deadline next week. And Bloom has a lot to do with that. You know, he's very strategic in what he wants. And Alex Cora is going to work with him. And, you know, Sam Kennedy as well. So we will see what the Red Sox have in store. And let's see what they can do against the Yankees. They need to win this because they did not do well, obviously, in New York. And they got to make up for that. So hopefully they do. Going on to the Bruins. The Bruins have resigned Taylor Hall to four years, $24 million. That's $6 million if you do the math per year. Now, Taylor Hall is an exceptional talent. He always wanted to come to Boston even prior to when he got drafted the same year as Tyler Sagan. And you could ultimately see it with Taylor Hall and his potential this past offseason. He is great with the puck. You know, he's extraordinary on his skates. He has the capability of making everyone better around him. What's key moving forward, and a lot of people aren't looking at this big picture, you got Bergeron, you got Marchand. Those guys are kind of late into their careers, right? In the latter years of their career. So you fulfill that kind of need, that role, that scoring presence with David Pasternak and Taylor Hall. I think Pasternak has four years left on his contract. Now, the defense is going to be the catalyst 
It is. You know the Bruins are going to throw in pucks at the net. You know they're going to score with ease. But when it comes to the defense, you know, Jeremy Lozon going to the Kraken. I don't know what to really think of it because Lozon gave up some big plays um, in the playoffs. One that comes to my mind, the cross pass, and it got deflected and intercepted. Um, I think it was by Eberle with the Islanders. I could be wrong about that, but it was one of the Islanders that stepped in nicely, took the pass, made the most of it, got down to the ice and, and scored a goal, especially when you know the Bruins needed it. I think the Bruins were at home too, so it was not a good look. It was not a good pass. And then Kevin Miller retires. Uh, Kevin Miller, you know, he was battling some issues. I think he's around 34, 35 years old. And so he was also at the tail end of his career. And you could kind of see it writing on the wall that he just didn't see his position being heavily uh, coveted with the Bruins. And I think it's understandable when you hit that rock wall, when you hit an injury wall and you can't get back up and you just feel hopeless. I think that's truly what Kevin Miller felt and you know having to go back and rehab at age 35 and try to get back into it and if your passion's not there anymore you kind of have to lose it right filling in the gaps if I were to fill in the gaps of Lozon his absence now and Kevin Miller and his retirement you gotta look at a guy like Ryan Suter you gotta look at a guy like you know Keith Yandel or Zach Parisi you know you gotta look at filling in the gaps that is going to be key moving forward Another key moving forward is what you do with David Krejci. I know, you know, Don Sweeney had a press conference today, and he was kind of iffy, it sounded like, with the David Krejci talks. So you don't really necessarily know what's going to happen with David Krejci, but he is going to be key if he does stay with the Bruins. If not, we heard it all over the sports channels, the media media hype over Jack Eichel coming back to Boston into a Bruin uniform. You know, he played in the Boston area in college, so he's going to be back in Beantown. Potentially, there's a rumor out there that he wants to get back to, you know, the Boston area in Beantown. So that's potentially on the board as well. So the Bruins, you know, they have a lot to do. They have free agency coming up next week. They have the draft coming up next week. And I also like where the Bruins are headed because they made that move to get Taylor Hall back into a Bruin uniform. That was a must. It was a very affordable contract as well. They need to decide what to do with Tukaras. They need to decide to do with David Krejci. So if they have a lot of questions for sure, but you at least like the right steps in the right direction this week. The Red Sox, again, they have a huge, massive um, series with the Yankees this weekend. They need to make the most of it. Otherwise, they could definitely take a downfall. You know, with Tampa Bay just one game back, um, and one uh, one game back plus Nelson Cruz now in the mix. You know, Tampa Bay is trying to go for it, and so it's going to come down to a two-team um, you know race unless the Yankees find a way to pull out a huge series win, um, which I don't foresee, but it could happen. I just hope it doesn't happen in Fenway Park with, you know, that great ballpark and the fans, you know, they just love their baseball. So, and let's see what Chris Sale does come back. You know, I think he has another rehab start with Portland. So he's due for a second start there. And then also tip of the cap again to the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo and coach Mike Budenholzer. They came out firing in the finals. They found their way after the, the two game loss. 
Uh, the, you know, the game two loss was so key throughout this series. It had a wake-up call for Giannis and Middleton and Brooke Lopez. And I'm telling you, if there's a blueprint, if you're not going to go super team, that is the blueprint. You need to get veterans. You need to have young talent that can shoot threes and do their jobs well. You need to have at least a superstar talent, maybe two, on your team. And then you need a coach that can at least make adjustments throughout a game, throughout a series. And Milwaukee has done that. They will only add to it in the offseason. And at the end of the day, I hope, for my sake, I'm a huge Celtics supporter. And I think the Celtics need to kind of take that blueprint moving forward. And hopefully teams do look at that and say, you know what? Giannis did it himself. You know, Damian Lillard. Look at yourself in the mirror. Do you really want to join a super team? Are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to build a championship empire by yourself? Are you good enough? You got to look at yourself and say, are you good enough? And if you're not good enough, obviously you take it elsewhere. But Giannis Antetokounmpo just showed that he bought into the city of Milwaukee and he truly supported his decision of staying with the Milwaukee Bucks for years to come. And we will see him back in the Eastern Conference Finals and possibly even in the NBA Finals for years to come. Again, just under age 27, he is capable of doing more. You will continue to see it. And he will go down as one of the best NBA players of all time. I will guarantee that. After this performance in the NBA Finals, after Defensive Player of the Year, after years of having MVP caliber years and winning MVP, Right, that signed, sealed, delivered. Giannis Antetokounmpo going to be a top five, top ten, all around, all time player when it's all said and done. He's got to learn to shoot, obviously, but he has been a dominant force, and we will see what he continues to do in the future. Again, thank you all for tuning in. We will get into NFL training camp next week. We have a lot to talk about. We will also break down the NBA draft, those prospects, maybe touch on the touch upon NHL free agency depending on what the Bruins do from here but I will talk about the New England Patriots I know talk I know people you know say that I'm a Dolphins fan I get it you got to talk about the Patriots we will talk about the New England Patriots we will discuss Cam Newton versus Mac Jones we will talk about Sony Michelle what's his potential future where is he headed is this defense a top five contending team defensively in the AFC. We will all break it down next week. Tune in. See ya.